long does it take to tackle a home project? With Angie, you could cross it off your list before this ad is over. Just tell us what you need. Indoor or outdoor, repair or redesign. And we handle the rest. Sending a top pro to get it done. You don't have to lift a finger. Except to tap the screen or click the mouse. Plus, Angie is free to use. So bring us your next home project and we'll bring it home. Download the app or go to Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I to get started. Thanks for listening to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. We upload new episodes every Monday and Friday. Be sure to listen to Uncaged Voice on Twitch or YouTube and listen to the Red Pill Current News Podcast on all major audio platforms every Wednesday and Saturday for current news and special interviews. Here are your hosts, Donny Cage and the Kentucky Guy. Welcome to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, the Kentucky Guy. And I'm your other co-host, Donnie Cage. All right. How we doing, sir, on this beautiful Monday? Doing great. It's really cold in Philadelphia right now, but otherwise I'm doing great. Yeah. See, that's why I live in the South, man. Down here, it's probably around 60 today. Sun was shining. Just a beautiful day out. Haven't seen oh, any. Oh, just put salt in the wound. <laughs> <laughs> I am actually uh so I'm originally from on the other side of Cleveland, Ohio. So I seen enough snow to last me the rest of my life. <laughs> so, all right. So if this is your first time tuning what's that? Sorry, Mr. No, go ahead. Thought you said something. I apologize. Uh so if this is your first time tuning in, make sure that you hit that follow or subscribe button. No matter where you're listening to us from. We do drop new episodes here every Monday and Friday. We're on all major platforms, including iHeartRadio, Pandora, Apple, Spotify, Google, and the list goes on. Also, Mr. Cage has his own personal podcast that he co-hosts with. Go ahead and tell him about Uncaged Voice, sir. Yes, if you want to hear our opinions on gaming, comic books, movies, and all sorts of other pop culture-related topics, check out the Uncaged Voice podcast on YouTube. It is myself... Top Tier Brian and Jigsaw Jester that co-host that podcast. Aha, uh-huh, and you're on Twitch as well, right? Uh, yes, we do stream on Twitch from time to time as well. Yeah, awesome. If you ever want to uh, see what's going on in today's uh, current events or listen to some uh, interviews with uh, business owners, authors, and the list goes on, I uh, host the Red Pill Current News Podcast. We drop new episodes there every Wednesday and Saturday. Now, just for an update, because I know some of you already listen to that show, you may be wondering why an episode hasn't posted over the weekend. It's very simple, and this will excite uh, excite some of you. I got some new intel in on uh, some things that have happened and are happening. And for me to decipher it all and to put it into a special report, it's taken a little bit longer than I thought. But that special report will be two episodes, both coming out this week, the first one will be tomorrow, and that's on the Red Pill Current News Podcast. We drop episodes there every Wednesday and Saturday. 
if time permits. <laughs> I'm going to start throwing that in there. All right. So uh, also, if you ever want to be a guest on this show or you have any questions for Donnie or myself, by the way, Donnie and I would both like to say thank you publicly to all the Christmas wishes. We do say Merry Christmas on this show. No holiday crap. So thank you, guys. I, we hope you guys do have a fantastic Christmas as well. And we appreciate all the love. Without you guys, like I said, there'd be no sense in us doing it. And Donnie, if you want to say something, uh, I forgot to mention to you, we probably got about 20 different emails just saying Merry Christmas. Pretty cool. Merry Christmas to our entire fandom. We appreciate all of your support. It means a lot to us. Absolutely. And like I said, if you ever want to be a guest on here or send us an email, you can at OL Kentucky. Kentucky spelled out 99 at yahoo.com. That's O Kentucky 99 at yahoo.com. Now, so this is our Christmas show. This will be our last show until December 30th, in which, which basically means we're going to take off uh, Friday and Monday, right? <laughs> so, uh, basically, uh, of course, for the holiday season. And we want you guys to spend time with your family as well. This being our Christmas show, also, after 1230th, we have another holiday, which is New Year's. So after December 30th, our first show, our first episode in 2023 will be January 6th. Yep, that's it. We're not taking weeks and weeks off. January 6th will be our first show of 2023. And what a year I think it's going to be. Uh, once again, you know, you guys make it worth our while to do this, and we definitely appreciate it. Uh, we've had some issues with our hosting platform. We've got a new one now. Uh, really excited about it. I think we're going to be here for a while. And you guys have really just uh, been patient. And, you know, a couple of you emailed me with some concerns. We are showing up on Spotify and Apple. Once again, it was a battle, but we are. It's fixed. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, uh, let, so for today's special, we have a different segment that we're going to add into the mix. And this segment is called, this is actually uh, Mr. Cage's idea, our top worst and our top best, in our opinion, tag teams of all time, which could be current tag teams or tag teams from way off, no matter which, which platform or which uh, wrestling association they wrestled for or what have you. They could have been indie. They could have been WCW, WWE, ECW, and what have you, TNA doesn't matter. But before that, we want to get into our normal fantasy booking segment, one of my favorite parts of the show, if this is your first time tuning in. Basically, on this segment here, Donnie picks a wrestler, and I pick a wrestler, and basically we tell the story if they would have been booked different, handled different, or something, why they failed in the organization that they failed in, and why they may have been successful there or somewhere else. So, and this has always been an interesting, we've got a lot of good feedback on this segment. Really enjoy it. And as always, Mr. Cage, I'll let you start us off. Thank you, Kentucky guy. So, for this week, I want to take you back to the year 1998 in WWE. I guess it was technically 1997, 98. Um, WWE was, was doing this angle. They were still the WWF at the time where they were introducing wrestlers from the NWA promotion. Now, the NWA by 1997 wasn't really a promotion at the time. It was just a bunch of different wrestling territories 
that were sort of loosely connected to one another. And they had a lot of different wrestlers who were representing the NWA at that particular point. They had wrestlers like Barry Windham. They had Jeff Jarrett. They had the new Midnight Express. If you remember them, they were around for a few weeks. They were uh, Bodacious Bart, or, or Bombastic Bart and Bodacious Bob, which was uh, Bart Gunn and Bob Holly. They, they called them the new Midnight Express, if you can believe that. And you also had uh, a gentleman who had been very successful in the UFC named Dan the Beast Severin, who at the time was the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. They introduced him in 1997. He didn't start to take on a more prominent role in WWE until the next year in 1998. And this guy was a legitimate, legitimate UFC and MMA champion. And he had actually held the NWA World Heavyweight Championship at that point, I believe, for close to five years. This guy was a legitimate athlete. People knew how talented he was, and how dangerous he was. And he would wrestle some matches on television, on pay-per-view, where he would basically showcase his grappling ability. He had a very short-lived feud with his former UFC rival, Ken Shamrock, during this time, which could have been a great feud if they had really given it more television time and talked about their background with one another. But eventually they did this angle where Dan Severin aligned himself with Owen Hart. And if you remember, it led to the very first Lion's Den match between Owen Hart and Ken Shamrock at SummerSlam 1998. And Dan Severn was kind of Owen Hart's corner man in that match. Um, And really soon after that, Dan Severn kind of just disappeared from television. And if you read into it. A lot of people felt behind the scenes that Dan Severn didn't get the whole sports entertainment aspect of WWE, which I can understand. You need someone who has charisma and can connect with the crowd. But in many ways, Dan Severn was almost like the equivalent to Brock Lesnar in the late 90s. When his music would hit and he would come out to the ring, you would know that someone was was about to get their their clock knocked in. I mean, this guy was just gonna was gonna stretch them. He was gonna just rip them limb from limb, pretty much. And I think that they missed some major opportunities here. I'm not suggesting for one minute that Dan Severn should have been the world champion, but he definitely could have been utilized a lot better. They should have had more of a drawn out feud between him and Ken Shamrock. They utilized him a little bit in the 1998 King of the Ring tournament, but even that they didn't do much. They just, they had a guy on their hand who was a legitimate proven athlete and they could have just utilized him so much better on the roster at the time because people knew he was legit and they didn't do anything with him. And I think it's a major missed opportunity and that's why Dan Severin was my fantasy booking for this week. Yeah, I remember Dan Severin very well. I remember uh, when he came to the... uh... WWE and I, I really thought that they could have uh, they could have done more with the Ken Shamrock feud as well. I thought so. Good job bringing that up. I uh, I didn't really know who he was to be honest with you. I, I was never back then. I can't say that now because like everybody knows, I have this addiction <laughs> when it comes to watching wrestling and UFC and what have you, any kind of combat sport. However, back then 
because I was very young. I, I didn't really know who he was. I just thought it was kind of a ripoff because I was a big uh, Ken Shamrock fan. But you're definitely right. After years went on, after unfortunately, after his wrestling career was uh, over with, with the WWF, I actually got to know who he was and seen how remarkable he was in the UFC. And you, you're spot on. He, they could have done so much more. He was just a gifted, he was a gifted fighter. And some of the fights that I seen, uh, you know, after that uh, in the UFC, I was pretty amazed. So good pick, man. Good pick. So my fantasy booking this week, we're going to go right around almost the same time frame as Mr. Cage's. This was in, uh, let's see, I think he started in 90, or he joined WCW in 95. However, I want to talk about his time in the WWE or WWF at that time when they completely, ultimately dropped the ball. My fantasy booking this week is Dean Simmons, better known by his ring name, Dean Malenko. In September of 95, he joined WCW Wrestling. Uh, he was a villain. Malenko came in to be known the WCW, the Iceman, because of his cold, calculating demeanor and was also given the nickname by Tony Schiavone, the Man of a Thousand Hoes. Uh, in 96, he defeated Chiraro <laughs> for the WCW Cruiserweight Championship in Orlando. And he held the title for two months. Now, he did jump ship. Actually, he was forced to. Because, as we all know, the WWF bought out WCW. And on January 31st of 2000 edition of Raw, actually, I'm sorry. He left before they bought WCW. He, he left right before then. I guess he knew it was a sinking ship. Anyways, 2000 edition of Raw. Raw's war back then. And he appeared in the crowd with the Radicals, which was Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, and Perry Satin, who all left the WCW right around the same time. He didn't have very much success in the WWF, of course. He was a force. Uh, he was forced into the promotions light heavyweight division. He had some measure of success as being a part of the Radicals and on March 13th edition of Raw, he defeated S.A. Rose for his first lightweight championship. In April of 2000, he feuded with Scotty Tuhati, who was the new challenger for the heavyweight title. He dropped the title to Scotty on April 17th, and then he won it back. Now, this is the light. This is only the light heavyweight championship from Scotty Tuhati. Now, remember who Scotty Tuhati was? He's part of that horrible tag team. I mean, he done the worm. I mean, this isn't a, and Malenko dropped the belt to him. He picked it back up. Uh, he picked it back up at SmackDown. Then at Backlash 2000, uh, he defended the title, ending that feud. Anyways, so he, he did have uh, many feuds. He, he engaged in one with Guerrero and Perry Saturn as that, they all broke up. Uh, basically, the one with Guerrero was the most famous because it had something to do with his relationship, Eddie Guerrero and China's. Latino Heat. <laughs> so it led to a triple threat match between the three, Saturn, Guerrero, and Malenko, uh, where Guerrero actually retained the WWF European Championship. Basically, after, after a brief 
absence from TV, he did come back to television to reform the Radicals with Guerrero Benoit and Saturn. Around this time, he became known as the Double Ho Seven. And we're still talking about Dean Malenko here. Iceman, the man of a thousand hoes. His new name, Double Ho Seven. And this is off a fictional character like James Bond. The gimmick was born out of a match with the Godfather who offered one of his female escorts to Malenko instead of wrestling him. And Malenko, according to a script, you know, he, he accepted the offer. <laughs> so, so anyways, and he uh, competed for the affections of Lita after this and feuded with uh, her tag team, the Hardy Boys. He even offered Lita a title match for his light heavyweight championship. Here we go. Check this out. But under the condition that if she lost, she would uh, go on a date with them. Lita accepted and almost caught Malenko by a few near falls throughout the match, but in the end lost the match by submitting to his signature cloverleaf. <laughs> so he went. He goes on this date with Lita. And the reason why I'm mentioning all this is because I, I'm showing you he had such a career in WCW, which is odd because it's usually the other way around. But WCW actually treated him right and made him a star. He was a star on WCW. If you knew he was coming to the ring, you were going to see something impressive because the name, the man of a thousand hoes, fit him very, very well. So, so then he also, and then he started feuding with two other females, Jacqueline and Ivory, who were disgusted by his playboy ways or whatever. <laughs> and then he had a title feud with Crash, Har uh, Crash Ollie. Uh, and interfered on the two-on-one intergender handicap match between Malenko and Jacqueline and Ivory, costing him the match. After both Guerrero and Benoit drifted away from the Radicals, Malenko teamed with Saturn for a few weeks before quietly disappearing off of television forever. And basically, he worked for the WWE for years after that. And, you know, I commend WWE giving him a job in the back, right? But first of all, he retired way too soon. He had way too much to offer, and it just didn't, just the way they done, I mean, they really blew this. They had a golden opportunity. Here's a guy, and I'm going to go over just a couple of his credentials uh, really quick. Before coming, before coming to the WWE, by the way, he is still working in the wrestling business. Uh, he does have Parkinson's disease, but he's handling it very well. He's working for uh, behind the scenes for AEW and has been there for quite a while. So I am glad that he's still around the business. But just check this out. He was the heavy metal, heavy metal weight champion for DDT Pro Wrestling. On ECW, he held the World Television Championship twice and the Tag Team Championship with Crispin Wall once. He was the, uh, let's see, the Pakistan champion, which is the heavyweight champion for the uh, Revolution Eastern Wrestling Program. He was also uh, Suncoast Pro Wrestling. He was a Southern Heavyweight Champion. And then in WCW, he was the Cruiserweight Champion four times, the United States Champion, and he was the World Tag Team Champion uh, at one time with Crispin Wall as well. And the only thing WWF could do with this guy, with all this talent, was give him the light heavyweight championship on two different occasions and one where he lost it to Scotty freaking to Hottie. Yeah, so there's my pick for this week.
Your thoughts, sir? I think it's a great pick. Dean Malenko was one of my favorite wrestlers in WCW back in the day. And his matches with Rey Mysterio, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho, uh, Ultimo Dragon, you name him. I mean, this guy was incapable of having a bad match in WCW, regardless of who his opponent was. He comes to the WWF as a member of the Radicals. There's a lot of hype when he's coming into the company. And what do they do? They stick him in the light heavyweight division and turn him into a parody of himself. I I was so upset about it back in the day. And even though I was a massive, massive WWF fan, I hated the way that WWE booked most of the radicals, particularly Perry Saturn and Dean Malenko. Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit were booked a lot better than they were. But Perry Saturn and Dean Malenko especially suffered a lot when they came to the WWF. Fortunately, Dean Malenko was able to get a role backstage and was a, a producer for many, many years. But yeah, his career ended way before it should have. And I just cannot believe he had he agreed to do some of these angles in the WWF because they were just insulting. Yeah, and just to take up for him just a little bit, you have to remember where we're at and what time frame we're at. So when he came over there in 2000, he burnt that bridge, left with no notice or anything, WCW, as soon as his contract was up. Well, actually, all the guys did, Guerrero, Benoit, and Saturn. So he burnt that. There was no, it's not like it is like currently, there was really nowhere else for him to go. So he had to do it. Either do it or starve, right? So, all right. So let's go to, let's go to the new segment for this edition. The top 10 worst tag teams. I'll go ahead and start us off on this one. My top 10. And now these are in no particular order, unless I mention. (laughs) And also, these are just my opinion. Some of you may agree. Some of you may disagree. Some of you may never heard of some of them. That's okay, too. Here's my pick. I'll give you the team name, if there is one, and the members of the team. I I didn't go as far as putting, like, the promotion they were with or anything like that due to time restraints. Here we go. Number one, no particular order. The Dancing Fools. Horrible. These guys were horrible wrestlers anyways, let alone on a tag team. And this consisted of the Disco Inferno and Alex Wright. It, It was just a joke. The next tag team. Number two, and basically these guys here, there were so many, their brothers, they, they had so many different tag team names and they all stunk. I mean, not the names, but that these characters just weren't good wrestlers. They were big boys. It just weren't good wrestlers. And this was the Basham brothers, Doug and Danny Basham. <laughs> they made number two with, with these. Number three, the Mexicools. And these guys, actually these three, this was a trio, these three were actually great wrestlers individually. But as the Mexico Cools, Psychosis, Super Crazy, and Eddie Guerrero, or Chavo Guerrero, it just didn't make any sense, and and they were just horrible. This one may surprise a few of you at first. Number four, Harlem Heat. Harlem Heat in 2000. This is when Booker T was singles. Stevie Ray turned on him, and he picked up a guy called Big T, a.k.a. Ahmed Johnson from WWF, and they called themselves the Harlem Heat, and these guys were just 
horrible. I mean, it was junk. You talk about a second-rate ripoff. It was just, ugh. Next tag team on the list, number five. And these guys are actually current. Uh, Hit Row. You got, need I say any more? Hit Row. Number six. These, uh, this pair, this pair actually, they didn't have a tag team name as far as I know, but I remember them teaming up and it was just such a joke. And that's David Flair, which is Ric Flair's baby boy and Crowbar. I don't know how many of y'all remember him. Oh man. What a, what, what, just a horrible tag team. Then these guys weren't any good on their own either. So another current tag team that made the list that absolutely, I absolutely despise. And if you've ever listened to this show, you guys already know this. And that's the new day. They come in at number seven, number eight, (laughs) men on a mission, Mo and Mabel. The only good thing that ever come out of this tag team was the feud with Mabel and Jeff Jarrett worked out pretty good. Jarrett, of course, Jeff Jarrett. Even now, he can carry just about anybody in the ring. But these two big old behemoths were slow and non-athletic and just a a joke. Number nine. Talked about this gentleman earlier. How big of a joke he was with the worm. Too cool. Grandmaster sexy. Preston Priest. Brian Lawler. And Scotty Too Hotty. The only thing these boys could do is maybe make you laugh a little bit because of their stupid dance. And I hate to say that, but it's the truth. And number 10, they didn't have a tag team name. But boy, oh boy, they they mix mix as good as mixing water and oil together. And that was Rico and Rikishi. I don't know how many, it didn't last long, but man, it was was just a horrible sight uh, (laughs) back then. So there's my top 10 worst tag teams, Mr. Cage. What's your thoughts? The only one I disagree with, and that's only because you got to remember, I was a 14-year-old uh, kid. I was, I, I was super into wrestling and the catchy theme songs and all goofy moves and everything was too cool. I was a too cool and Rakishi fan when those three were paired up. But what I will agree with you on, yes, when you're just talking about wrestling ability and were they a great tag team in ring, no. There were tons of teams that were out there that were much better than them. But I just, I liked their gimmick. I got into it. It was corny as heck, but I still enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, and I said the only thing good they did was make us laugh with their dancing. So, <laughs> but uh, your turn, sir. All right, so to start with my top 10 worst this is, again, in no particular order. Number one, I have La Resistance. And that's whatever combination you talk about. Primarily, I'm talking about Robert Con- Conway and Sylvain Granier. I never understood why this team was pushed over and over and over again. I mean, they were okay workers, but the fact that they were the world tag team champions on multiple occasions, I didn't understand it. Um, number two, I also had men on a mission. Um, again, I, I other than them having the, the guy with them who was a decent rapper, what, what, what exactly was their gimmick? They walked around in gold and purple, and that was pretty much it. Number three, I have Jericho. That's Chris Jericho and The Big Show. 
I, for whatever reason, never got this tag team. I mean, I know Chris Jericho needed a replacement partner after Edge suffered an injury. And of all the people they could have picked, they picked the big show. Okay. I just... And also when they combine their two theme songs together into what you want to call an entrance theme, it was just, it was terrible. Number four, I have Scott Steiner and Test. I don't know if you remember, but after the two of them were fighting over Stacy Keebler's managerial services, they actually became a tag team. And uh, they were a pretty horrible tag team. Enough said. Number five. The Harris Brothers, a.k.a. the Disciples of Apocalypse. These guys were in every major promotion, WWF, WCW, and TNA, and they sucked as a tag team in every single one. And I could never tell them apart because they looked the same. Um, Number six, individually, these two were perfectly fine as wrestlers, but as a tag team, never made any sense to me. Lex Luger, and Davy Boy Smith, the Allied Powers. Number seven, a very short-lived tag team from the early 90s, Owen Hart and Coco Beware, High Energy. Probably one of the worst tag team outfits I've ever seen in my life. Number eight, the B team. That's Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel. They had that that entrance theme, B-team, B-team, go, 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 B-team, B-team, go, go, go. And this was after they left the Miz Tourage. And they actually held the tag team titles at one point, if you can believe it. Number nine, this might be a little surprising, but I'll tell you why they're on here. Scott Steiner and Booker T when they were part of the main event mafia in TNA. There were a million other tag teams that could have held the world tag team titles at that particular time. For whatever reason, the creative team said, let's put it on two washed-up veterans right now who make no sense as a tag team. I mean, Scott Steiner and Booker T individually were a part of two of the best tag teams in history, but for whatever reason, they made them a tag team here in TNA, and it didn't make any sense. So, yeah, Scott Steiner and Booker T were not a good tag team. And then number 10... I have the American males, American males, American males, American males. (laughs) Uh, Scotty Riggs and Marcus Bagwell. They were together from 1995 to 96. Awful theme song, awful gimmick, awful theme. Just everything about the presentation was awful. Thank God for Buff Bagwell. That single-handedly saved Marcus Bagwell's career. Your thoughts, Kentucky guy? So, first of all, I think you're the first person in history to ever say thank God for Buff Bagwell. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought it was a pretty good list, man. I, I, I disagree with the Booker T and Scott Steiner uh, approach. And basically because the reason why it made sense to me is because they have a lot of history. They were when WCW together, when the ship went down, and they actually fought, had some great feuds, the Harlem Heat and the Steiner Brothers, and they were both on the Main Street Mafia, and, you know, I mean, they had decent, I thought they had decent chemistry. I, I love the Main Street Mafia. I think that's the best thing, besides Aces and Eights, that TNA did, so maybe I'm impartial that way. But, uh, yeah, other than that, you know, I, I thought it was a 
yeah, very, very good list. Uh, showed that you put some time into it. You had some guys on there that I actually forgot about, uh, which was uh, pretty cool. Anytime that you can jog my memory on, uh, I forgot all about the B team. And that's a shame because Bo Dallas is on his way back to the WWE. But yeah, I remember that horrible. <laughs> I remember that horrible team. All right, sir. So uh, yeah, great job. So since I went first on the uh, on the last one, I'll let you go first on this one. And this would be our top 10 best favorite tag teams. Thank you, sir. Um, this was a really tough one because I have a lot of tag teams that I am very fond of. Um, and I have to make a couple honorable mentions before I jump into my 10. Um, some honorable mentions are The Bar, Cesaro, and Sheamus. The APA, Bradshaw, and Farouk. The Outsiders, Calp, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash. And Money, Inc., Ted DiBiase, and Erwin R. Scheister, a.k.a. Mike Rotunda. My top 10 best tag team. Number 10 is the Steiner Brothers, Rick and Scott. Amazing amateur wrestling background. So many classic feuds during their career. These guys were incredible. Number nine, I have the Hart Foundation. Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Number eight, Harlem Heat. Booker T and Stevie Ray. Number seven, Beautiful Bobby and Sweet Stan. The Midnight Express. Number six, Demolition. Axe and Smash. Number five, Edge and Christian, which it's now time for a five-second pose. Number four, the Dudley Boys. Huzzah! Number three, Matt and Jeff, the Hardy Boys. Number two, oh, you didn't know? Billy Gunn and the Road Dog, Jesse James, the New Age Outlaws. And number one, Ooh, what a rush. The Road Warriors, a.k.a. the Legion of Doom. Nice, man. Nice. Uh, good job. So you got three of mine on my list. I'm sitting here frantically trying to uh, to replace them uh, <laughs> so the audience gets, uh, you know, uh, the, so they get 20 teams. I'll tell you who they were, who they were going to be. So you had, uh, I had the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim Nyhart. Uh, so I'm going to do honorable mention for the Fantastics. A lot of people don't remember these guys, but these guys were, uh, what's that? No, I just said, oh yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good pair. Yeah. The Fantastics, they were, uh, for your, the rockers and the rock and roll express, uh, back in the day, they had great feuds with the midnight express as well, as you mentioned. Uh, the other team that, that you had that uh, that was on my list as well was Edge and Christian, who were phenomenal, phenomenal. And they both have great single careers as well. But these guys were just, I don't know what it was, but back when they both had hair, uh, when they finally dropped that vampire act that they were doing, the brood uh, with Gangrel, and just went on their own, I, I thought they were fantastic. And the Dudley, mm -hmm. I had those guys as well. So and I'm I'm like you. There were quite a few different tag teams over the years, like uh, that I well I loved. So I'm going to replace Edge and Christian with because I really wanted to put these guys on the list anyways. Was the Brainbusters, Arn Anderson and Telly Blanchard? That'd be my honorable mention for them. And let's see on the Dudley Boys to replace them. I'm actually going to 
replace them with the current new blood, the Usos. They are one of the best tag teams ever, and they continue to prove it. So, so there's the three that I replaced that you mentioned, and let's get on with it. Number one, Doom, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. It's an old group. If you haven't watched any, I know a lot of people relate Ron Simmons with AP with Bradshaw, but I'm telling you, I promise you, I promise you, go look up some of these old Doom matches and you will be impressed. Even back then, the talent was crazy. Number two, Beer Money, Inc. That was Bobby Roode and James Storm over in TNA as Impact. These guys held the titles I don't know how many times. They met up. Bobby Roode was actually on a team called Team Canada. And James Storm was with his current tag team partner at that time. Cannot think of their name. <laughs> Chris Chris Harris, America's Most Wanted. America's Most Wanted. That's it. Yeah, I remember Chris's name. I just couldn't remember that tag team name. So, yeah, America's Most Wanted. They split up, and he started this group with uh, Bobby Roode, and these guys just took off from where that team left off. That American Most Wanted was awesome as well, and they kind of just picked up where they left off. Number three, the Rock and Sock Connection, Mick Foley and the Rock. This group, this tag team, did not last long enough for me. I thought they were great. Some of the greatest promos, like Rock, This Is Your Life, just some of the things that come out of it were just so amazing. But they were also great in feuds against each other, so I, I get it. I do. However, I just wish they would have left this group alone just a little bit longer. It was so funny, and they were so talented together. Number four, this is a current tag team, probably one of the best in the world right now, and that's the Young Bucks. Don't have to say very much about them. Everybody knows that name since TNA came to town. I've been a fan of the Young Bucks way back in New Japan wrestling before you know AEW was even thought of. The next one. The Funk Brothers, Terry and Dory Funk Jr. These guys were just beasts before their time. They did not care. They did not want to get in there and wrestle you. They wanted to get in there and just hurt you and beat you up. Much like the next group on my list. The next group on the list, number six, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. These are two of the original Four Horsemen, Ole and Arn Anderson. The Minnesota Wrecking Crew actually started with the with these guys' uncle before it was actually a four-man team, but Arn and Ole are the most recognized because of the prestigious titles they held and just some of the great feuds that they put on in matches spot on. And then the last one on the list, the Wild Samoans, Afa and Saika. These guys here never could pronounce their name quite right, but loved watching them. When I first saw them, I did not think. I was like, uh, I don't know. But man, oh, man, these guys could wrestle. And you talk about, everybody talks about the Rocks and Umaga's uh, Samoa drop, backdrop. <laughs> you need to go watch these guys if you haven't. They were just amazing. Uh, your thoughts, sir? Yeah, it's a great list. I mean, so many different influential tag teams on there. I mean, I can't, I, honestly, I can't dispute any. Anyone that's on that list, Kentucky guy. Um, I think the only reason I didn't include beer money on my list is just because I wasn't watching TNA as regularly as I watched WWE. Um, 
But Beer Money was an amazing tag team, too. I mean, multiple times tag team champions. There's no question about it. Um, and, you know, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, really influential tag team. People people forget about them, actually. In fact, you know, Arn and Ole Anderson, two of the original four horsemen. Yeah, yeah, great great list. Yeah, and, and the same thing you said before you started this list, uh, reading your favorite tag teams. You're, and you were spot on. There, it was hard. It took a lot longer to do the top ten, my favorite, because there's so many. And I would add a name, and then, I, like, I had the Freebirds on here one time, and I was like, "Well, you can only do ten. <laughs> it took a lot longer on this one, which is odd. It's usually the other way around. It's usually uh, uh, hard to think of the worst, you know, sometimes. But yeah, there's so many tag teams throughout the years that are just, you know, they're phenomenal. And and I know guys and hey, you know what? We'd be interested if you guys want to email us your 10 favorite or if you think that somebody should have been on our list, feel free. OLKentucky99 at Yahoo.com. We, we love interaction with you guys, so I think it'd be great. Don't you, sir? Would love it. I'd love some feedback from the from our audience. Yeah, so if you guys if you want to just shoot us your top 10 worst or favorite or if there's just like, you're sitting there scratching your head and they're like, why in the world didn't Donnie Cage or the Kentucky guy mention this group? Uh, yeah, shoot us an email. We'll read it on air live like we always do. All right, so let's move into the AEW Dynamite result. And the first match on the board, I have Sammy Guevara took on John Moxley. And the winner of that match was none other than John Moxley. I thought this was a pretty good match. We've seen this match before. So I wasn't really excited about looking forward to it. I, I really don't quite quite understand why it happened because neither one of them are, are like in a title hunt right now. I, I don't know. There, there's no feud there, so it didn't make a lot of sense. However, even though Sammy did lose the match, I don't think he looked bad at all in the match. He, he, he did a great job, but that's what we've come to expect from these guys. So... Yeah, I thought it was a good match. I mean, I wouldn't give it an A or, I mean, probably a C, only because nothing really happened and seen it before. Your thoughts? My my thoughts are exactly the same as yours. It, both are reliable performers, and they put on a good match. But, I, I mean, I figured Moxley was going to win this because they ha- they always have to make him look strong and always kind of create the impression that he's in the title hunt even if he's not the number one contender right now. Because keep in mind, the way in which he lost the title to MJF leaves the door open for them to continue their feud at some point. But I did think it was kind of weird that they just randomly matched him against Sammy Guevara. Because again, what have they really been doing with Sammy for the last couple of months? I mean, again, it was a good match, and they both looked good. But, uh... Yeah, I don't know. I wish there was just some more heat to this. Yeah, let us, uh, you know, some some type of build up or yeah. So you pretty, much, I mean, that's the same thing. I just yeah, I, I agree. It just no, there's just not a whole lot of reason there. It just didn't make any sense. And then we had Britt Baker, Doctor Britt Baker versus Guy Blue. The winner of that match was Britt Baker. You know, I I, I thought it was pretty good. I I, I liked uh, Jamie Hader and you know at the end and and all. I thought it was okay for a female match. I mean, it, it was nothing to write home about, but I thought it was okay. Your thoughts? I feel like Sky Blue, even though she shows a lot of heart in the matches, 
is kind of just like the the punching bag for the women's division right now, particularly whenever she wrestles Jamie Hayter or Britt Baker. Um, I think one of these days they're probably going to have her pull an upset victory a la 1-2-3 kid or something. But, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, this you have to make Britt Baker look strong when all is said and done. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I wasn't surprised by the outcome of this match. And let's see, y'all. Then we have, you know, and I'm, I apologize, folks. This is Rampage's results. I think I said Dynamite. This is Rampage's results. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, so then we have uh, Warlow versus Exodus Prime. And there was no match there. I mean, he just walked in and completely destroyed that guy looking uh, dominant as ever. However, he did, and uh, Joe accepted they will be fighting on Dynamite uh, this week for the uh, TNT title. So that'll be uh, interesting to see what happens there. But as far as his match with this Exodus Prime character, shoo, yeah, he just he just he destroyed that guy. So your thoughts? I understand the need to make Wardlow look dominant, so don't misunderstand me there. But I hate, hate, hate squash matches. And that's all this was. It took up five minutes of my precious time. They could have had Wardlow compete against somebody else in a more competitive match. They still could have had him perform the Powerbomb Symphony at the end of the match and look strong and made a statement to Samoa Joe to build up to their match, um, you know, next week. But I just... I don't know. I'm just, I don't like predictable squash matches, Kentucky guy. They're, they're, they're too old school for me. Yeah, I'm not, I don't care for them either because there's, well, there's a couple reasons, right? The first reason, I, I guess I would say the main reason is because it's just like it's, uh, for some reason you're trying to rush through things, like rush through the program. The second thing, and probably the most important, it seems like you want these guys, like, no matter if you don't like a wrestler, you kind of still want them to be able to put up a fight because it just really, you're investing your time to watch the match. So, so you want to see something. You want to be able to, you're, I don't want to say cheer for them, but you want to be able to at least in have a little bit of, you know, everybody has their own pick in a match. So you kind of want, you want the excitement of maybe your pick's going to lose. So, yeah, I get it, man. I, I, I get it completely. I'm not a, a huge fan of it either. All right. So, let's see. In the next match, we have uh, uh, the best friends teamed up with Orange Cassidy and uh, Cody Rhodes. And they faced the Butcher, the Blade, and Seven, and Chris Sabian. The winners, as you predicted on this one, actually, uh, the winners were Best Friends, The Road, and Orange Cassidy. And this was a match that, uh, yeah, I didn't even, uh, I didn't even really watch it, to be honest with you. Didn't really care. At first I did because, uh, in our last episode, if you're listening, I actually thought, uh, Seven was the guy <laughs> who recently, uh, left the, the Dark Order once, uh, Mr. Cage filled me in that I was wrong about that. Didn't care about this match whatsoever. And redheaded stepchild wins again. So, your thoughts? That's what we're calling him now, redheaded stepchild. Yeah, that's your orange Cassidy buddy. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, 
foregone conclusion because it's an episode of Rampage. Although even this, even if this was on Dynamite, I still think the match would have been a foregone conclusion. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm still wondering who's going to take the All Atlantic title off of Orange Cassidy one of these days to make it more of a legitimate championship. Sorry, Orange Cassidy fans. Like I said, he's good in small doses, but not as a long-term champion in my opinion. All right. So let's see. So let's see. We have uh, Dynamite coming up. And let's see if they have anything on the card. They're going to be in San Antonio, Texas. We have the Elite versus the Death Triangle going to match five. This is the best out of seven series. This is actually going to be a none or no disqualification match. I'll pick the Elite. Jamie Hayter versus Sharada for the. Uh, AW uh, Women's World Championship. I'm going to pick Jamie Hayter. I think she will win this match, but I won't say that they wouldn't change it because it's on an episode of Dynamite because this is actually considered one of their live premium shows or whatever. Winner's coming, so they make stupid decisions like that all the time, so it's possible. And then we have uh, FTR versus the the Guns. <laughs> And uh, I think that there's no no doubt in anybody's mind that FTR will uh, will win that match. So, and that's all they've announced so far. Your thoughts, uh, predictions on those, sir? It would be a major, major travesty if FTR were to lose to the Gun Club. But I would not put it past AEW. I'm still going to predict that, that FTR will win the match. Um, Jamie Hayter... Uh, I mean, this is her first title defense. Hikaru Shida will put on a good a good match against her. There's no question about it. She's not going to look weak. But I definitely see Jamie Hayter retaining in this in this particular match. And then, um, and as far as the first match you mentioned, the Elite versus Death Triangle, it's going to be great. And I love the fact that it's going to be no disqualification. I'm also going to pick the Elite to win this match. Yeah, well, if they don't, they're out of it, right? Tournament's over. Oh yeah, they're out of it. It's 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 over and done with if they lose. All right, so let's move on to SmackDown results, and let's do something here. Let's start off with the one thing that everybody got out of SmackDown that was kind of surprising, and finally got a little taste. So let's talk about this for just a moment. L.A. Knight comes out to the ring on SmackDown and he calls out Bray Wyatt and Bray Wyatt answers the call. Now we both know how this story is going to end and LA Knight is done with the talking. He attacks Bray Wyatt, beats him down in a corner until a video pops up from Uncle Howdy asking him or yeah, aired with him asking, you want to see something really scary? From there, Uncle Howdy steps out onto the stage, leaving L.A. Knight confused. I don't want to, yeah, he looked a little bit afraid, but he was very confused. And I think this is the reason for me talking about this first and why so many people are talking about it is because this is the first time that something newsworthy reporting has actually happened. You see, it's been such a slow burn, and we've talked about it, they got to do this. They got to do something. But what this did is it revealed that Uncle Howdy, Kentucky guy right, Warren Marlowe wrong, ha, 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 
<laughs> and Bray and Bray Wyatt are not the same person. And uh, <laughs> so I was happy to see that. So and I just have to I just have to go back to and I said this last episode. I just have to go. I, I think it's going to be a faction. I, I think the White Six are not, you know, all in his mind. I just I can't see that playing out. But I was glad to see this segment. First of all, I have no idea who Uncle Howdy is, but I'm glad he's starting to step out live and in person. And I think they need to keep, don't slow it down anymore, but I think you need to keep, speed it up just like you're doing and give us a little bit more and a little bit more. Your thoughts, sir? I I have to applaud WWE for finally giving us at least a little bit of an answer as to what was going on here because you and I talked about it on multiple podcasts recently, Kentucky guy. We're happy to see Bray Wyatt back. We understand you've, you've got to have a little bit of patience with the storyline, but they were dragging it out too much, and we needed we needed some answers. And at least they answered the one burning question, which was, is Uncle Howdy an extension of Bray Wyatt's personality, or is Uncle Howdy a completely different person? They gave us an explicit answer. Uncle Howdy's a completely different person. Great. So we got one answer. Now we just need to get a little more backstory on who is behind that mask. And and I agree with you, Kentucky guy. I think if they continue on this path, we're going to find out that the Wyatt Six are not six different personalities of way of Bray Wyatt. They are six members of this faction. So I, I hope they continue on this path because it's a good. It's the right way to take the storyline. It's it's got potential. So let's let's not mess it up. You, you, you're going the right way, WWE. So just just stay the course. Yeah. In other words, don't blow it. <laughs> let's. Sorry, I had to throw that in there, but that's basically what you're saying, right? I mean, that's what I was saying. Don't blow it. All right. So let's see here. Okay. Sorry, I was going to look up some. I wanted to share something with you. I'll get it here in just a moment. And then the next biggest thing that happened on SmackDown, which I kind of threw a, I think, a curveball to all of us, and that was the return of Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns did not, he did not turn on Sami Zayn, and he did not remove the honorary from the honorary Uso title, which I think most of us were hoping for. And you could tell that Sami Zayn was hoping for it as well. He had a new, uh, little haircut, looked good, ready to shine. However, Roman Reigns said, Sami Zayn, we have a problem. We have a Kevin Owens problem that plagues the bloodline. And he actually told Sami Zayn, he goes, tonight was going to be a good night for you, but we have this KO problem. As soon as Rain said that Sami Zayn is probably one of the best performers right now in WWE, Sami Zayn looks heartbroken. I mean, he looks, it was just great. <laughs> and then Roman Reigns reiterates the tag team match set for December 30th, uh, the SmackDown, the last SmackDown of the year with Kevin Owens and a partner facing Sami Zayn. And Roman Reigns. To my surprise, to my surprise, I have to be honest, John Cena appears on a video screen. And he reads a text message from KO 
revealing that he would compete on December 30th to keep his 20-year streak of WWE matches alive. Now, the reason what that means is, basically, for the last 20 years, at least one match, at least one time, John Cena has wrestled a match for the last 20 years, which is impressive. I don't, I, I mean, Roman Reigns beat this guy to death when they faced one-on-one not too long ago. So the intent, I think, was to make the December 30th episode of SmackDown uh, dis- uh, destination for the viewing audience. And I think they accomplished that. People want to see John Cena return, see what he's still got, to compete in an actual match. However, putting him in the ongoing story with Owens, Zayn, and Reigns, really, I don't know if that was the smartest thing or not. And the reason why is it's, first of all, it's John Cena. He, he, I mean, he's, he's kind of like the rock. I mean, he's done. I, I think they could have, I think there's so much new blood and not really new blood, but there's so many, so much talent right now that they could have done this with. I don't understand what their, what their deal is with these old competitors like John Cena, the rock Goldberg, just let these guys go, man. <laughs> Anyways, that's just my thoughts. Yours. As much as I like John Cena, um, and yeah, I agree with you. The whole 20-year thing is impressive. It, it didn't really make much sense to me to just insert him into the storyline. Because like you said, Roman Reigns already beat John Cena in a singles match at SummerSlam last year. And I didn't know that in from a storyline perspective that Cena and Owens were even friends, to be perfectly honest. Um, I thought just a couple of years ago, the two of them were practically at war with one another. And now apparently they're best buds and they text each other. Because uh, <laughs> that's the way wrestling logic works. Um, yeah, I mean, he'll his, him being back will obviously boost ratings, but... Um, this didn't make a whole lot of sense from a storyline perspective. I get that they need to have a, a big star work with uh, Kevin Owens in this feud, but uh, I, I don't know. This was just, it, it was random. It was really random. Yeah, it just, it didn't make any sense. Yeah, what I wanted to tell you, I had to look it up real quick. So uh, earlier, uh, Warren, who's a good friend of the show, <laughs> just a overall funny guy, on his Facebook page, he he posted a question. He goes, uh, did any of you watch Black Adams, the, the new movie? And if you did, what'd you think? <laughs> so me being me, I commented on it. And I said, I had been, it was okay. It'd have been great if Rock wasn't the main actor in it, though. <laughs> uh, we all know how much he loves The Rock. So. I mean, I, 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 mean, I kind of wa- watched the movie, and it was, uh, it, 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 it was pretty good. It was entertaining me, but then it got to the climax, and it hit rock bottom. <laughs> Yes, yes. I I wish I, I wish I, man, you're too you're too late because he already commented on my comment. He called me Hill Kentucky guy. <laughs> Hill Kentucky. Guy. Uh, all right. So uh, let's see. And then we had a triple threat match, tag team match. <sighs> Don't understand this one either. How it ended. Uh, we had Hit Row versus the Viking Raiders versus the uh, Gato del Fantasma. This is one of those matches where. I definitely, I wanted to pick my television up and just slam it through my Christmas tree. I really did. 
they let Hit Row defeat these two teams. First of all, the Viking Raiders are the only one out of these three. Nothing against Del Fantisma. They're just not ready. They're the only team out of these three that could even be considered to compete against the Usos for the tag team titles. And you let Hit Row, which it looks like the big guy actually got hurt in the match. You know, they need to be put out to pasture anyways. They need to go. Uh, I hope he's not really hurt, but they need to go. Anyways, I just, I, I don't get it. The Viking Raiders should have been the winners of this one. They needed the win. They just come back. If you're going to make them serious, make them serious. If not, turn them into a freaking joke like you did the last time, and let's move on and find somebody else. Your thoughts? There's an unspoken rule in professional wrestling. It's called, if you can't perform a diving attack properly, then don't. Top Dollar should uh, should understand this rule if he's going to continue in the wrestling business. I watched that video, and it's a sad sight. But what's even more sad is the fact that Hit Row won this match. Um, and it wasn't like they won it by dumb luck. It was like they actually booked Hit Row to look strong at the end of this match. And I'm like, you've been booking the Viking Raiders to look dominant over the last month or two. Why all of a sudden did you do this pivot that no one, that literally no one was uh, was looking forward to. I don't understand it. I just hope that if it gets to the point where Hit Row is challenging the Usos, that it's a super quick match, that's basically just the Usos hitting a couple of super kicks, splashes the 1D, and the match is over in like two minutes um, so that they can send Hit Row packing. Uh, this was a terrible booking decision. I don't agree with it at all. I, I almost would have just rather Legato Del Fantasma won the match if, you, if, if we're going to go there. But the Viking Raiders really should have been booked to win this. That, that, that's, hey, that's all I have to say about it. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. Another match that happened that doesn't make, I mean, the ending made sense, but on this next match I'm getting ready to talk about, but the match all together, and I think we both agreed on this, that it, it just didn't make any sense putting this guy to this beating again. It was the Intercontinental Championship match, Ricochet versus Gunther. Okay, so Gunther, he defeated Ricochet to retain. Yes, of course, Ricochet, he always looks good in every match he does. Not not taking anything away from his talent. Just saying, there was no surprises here. Why you give this guy the World Cup, which the World Cup match stunk anyways between the two final competitors. Well, I... You know, at least if they would have let the guy from the uh, Legado del Fantisma won the cup, we would have seen a match that we'd never seen before. We've seen this match. We know how great Ricochet is. We also know that he can't beat the war general. So, your thoughts? People online really liked this match. They were like, oh, they tore the house down. They did this. They did that. I'm, I'm like, well, I mean, that's all well and good, but we all knew that Ricochet was not winning this match. So, that takes all the suspense out of it, unfortunately. Um, so as good as Ricochet looked, he wasn't going to beat Gunther. Um, you know, maybe if they had told the story a little bit differently and had some more close calls in the match, it would have uh, it would have interested me a little bit more. Again, the athleticism that's on display is undeniable, but the the match result was also undeniable. Yep, yep. 
And the last match, kind of the same thing. We knew who the winner was going to be. And that was for the uh, Women's Tag Team Championship. Tegan Knox and Liv Morgan versus Dakota Kai and Eos Kai. Now, uh, <laughs> Damage Control, they did, they did retain their titles. However, they had some help. There was a mystery woman who showed up in a hoodie. And uh, she actually got the victory for Damage Control. Now, everybody was thinking it was Chelsea Green, blah, blah, blah. However, in social media, if you do a little bit of digging, and it was on social media exclusively, that the person in the hoodie was XLE, XIA, and then LI. Not, not familiar with them, but that's who was in the hoodie. So that was an okay match. Uh, I think that uh, Damage Control could have beat them without the interference, but, you know, they're, they're heels, right? So, yeah, they just keep getting stronger. Your thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, I get that, that they're heels, so sometimes they have to use underhanded tactics to win, but unless unless Zia Lee is joining Damage Control, I don't really get what what, what this build is this building towards. Is she supposed to have a one-on-one feud with either Liv Morgan or Tegan Knox? I, I, I don't really know. They, they never seem to be able to decide what they're doing with Zia Lee exactly because they had that storyline going in NXT when she was there, when she was part of that group. Um, Oh man, I forget. It was uh, when she was with Wendy Chu and Bo- and Boa. Um, that was when they were kind of like reinventing Xia Lee. And then she came up to the main roster. They couldn't decide whether she was a baby face or a heel again. And now they still can't decide. Um, but she's helping damage control. I'm almost like, all right, well, if they want to add a fourth member to damage control, they might as well just do it. Um, because Xia Lee's not doing anything special right now. I, I just want them to make up their mind. But uh, but at least damage control retained here. That's the important thing. Yeah, I think she's going to be a part of damage control. I think the uh, the Nikki Cross, she's going to be a part of something to do with uh, sanity. And the reason why I say that is because I've, I caught something and then I wanted to see if anybody else caught it. And I got on and did a little bit of research. And there are a couple guys. They're kind of, they're kind of solid. I mean, I don't really know them, know them, but I checked some of their previous work, and they have, they do seem to know a little bit and catch things. Nikki Cross has been stalking Johnny Wrestling's wife, and uh, and basically, that was the same thing she did when she was with Sanity in NXT. They had this huge feud. And I just have to, for some reason, and a lot of, and you have to look to catch it. Like when, uh, can't, when she was back there with, uh, Dexter Loomis and, uh, her husband talking about the money when the money was in the bag. If you look over to the side, Nikki Cross is watching her. She's been stalking her. And that's three times I think I caught it. So I never did put it together before until the other day when I watched one of these guys' video. And they kind of pointed a couple of these things out, and they're they're kind of right on it. So I think that maybe at one time they were looking at putting her on damage control as the fourth member, the whole thing with the uh, Survivor Series and what have you. But I think those plans have changed, and I think she's going to do something. I don't know if it's going to be sanity or what it's going to be. If it's going to be something to do with that, the old group. She's back in that character. 
You know, there was a Nikki Cross before she was that character uh, with Sanity in the W or in NXT. So she's back to this character now. That's got that tells me a little bit. And then her uh, stalking Candice LeRae tells me another story. What are what are your thoughts on that opinion of mine? I guess I'm still unsure with what they're doing with Nikki Cross. I mean, I agree with you. They're moving forward with the whole she's stalking Candice LeRae storyline, but I don't know if this is going to lead to a reformation of uh, sanity or if it's just Nikki Cross being crazy Nikki Cross. I definitely don't think she's going to become a permanent member of um, of sanity or anything. Not sanity, um, damage control. Uh, by the way, Eric Young is with WWE again. He's just uh, waiting for them to uh, his no compete clause, by the way. And that is uh, not rumored. That is facts. So, all right. So let's take a look at tonight's Raw, WWE Raw card. It looks like, and I don't know why this is on there, but it is. We have the Street Profits uh, teaming. Did that match already happen? No. Oh, they're doing it again. I see. So they're teaming with the uh, Akira Tazawana. You know, that weird guy. And they're going against Judgment Day. I think that match already happened, didn't it? I don't. I don't know. Did it? Uh, let's take. Let's take a I'm look. Maybe it did. Yeah, and then we have uh, Dexter Loomis versus the Miz take all ladder match, is where uh, Miz has to double up. Uh, look, yeah, no, it looks like the Street Profits won that uh, Judgment Day match. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, I wonder why. Let's see. So today is the nineteenth, right? Yep. Oh, that doesn't make any sense. Let's see. Yeah. So I thought. I thought I already seen that match. So we have Becky Lynch versus Bailey. That should happen. Uh, the double or nothing match is is happening tonight. So I am right about that. And I swear it's a, it looks like that they are uh, they're having that match again, man. The Judgment Day versus uh, the Street Profits. I know, I know, it's weird, right? I mean, are you showing? Why don't you look? See, uh, see, see what you can. I mean, from what I could see, the match already happened, and Street Profits ended up. I mean, look for uh, the match card for uh, December nineteenth. Well, there was, well, uh, there was also Akira Tazawa versus Rhea Ripley. Huh? Really? Yeah. In a single, a singles match, an intergender singles match. Okay. Okay. Also on the card is the OC versus Alpha Academy. Okay. OC ver. Okay. So, uh, for some reason, I guess the. Uh, <laughs> For some, re- for some reason, I'm not unable to find that match card. Who else we got on there? Uh, we mentioned Dexter Loomis in The Miz. Uh, Bailey versus Becky Lynch. I think those are the only advertised card uh, matches on the card for tonight. Okay. All right. So sorry about that confusion, folks. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why that keeps, uh, keeps showing up because I just did it again, and it still shows. <laughs> still keep showing anyways we know that raw has not been putting a lot of matches up first anyways so anywho bailey versus becky all right so let's go ahead and that that is about all the time or about everything that i went through oh i did want to ask you one thing before we go being in the christmas season and everything donnie put you on the spot for a second what are what is your what do you want from santa claus this year I guess is the best way to put it. Peace, harmony, <laughs> and goodwill towards men. Come on, something physical. What do you what do you, what do you want? 
Uh, physical. What did, I, what did I ask for? I'm trying to remember. Um, so there is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So there's this, uh, YouTuber I follow named, uh, named the, well, he goes by the angry video game nerd, but his name's James Rolfe. He's a, uh, local, uh, filmmaker and podcaster. Been following for many, many years. He finally wrote an autobiography called a movie making, uh, nerd. And I had, uh, asked for a copy of the book for, uh, Christmas because just, uh, curious to read a little bit more about his, uh, story. So that was, uh, that was one of my big, uh, asks for Christmas this year. Awesome. I think that's great, man. Yeah. I mean, I think I would have preferred the Kentucky guys book, but you know, whatever, but yeah. That, that was the number two thing on my list, Kentucky. Just guy. missed it by an inch, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir. You have anything for us before we go? No, you know, I've been, um, the only other thing I was going to add, I've been, I've been monitoring the whole Mandy Rose released by WWE situation. And, you know, there's nothing really new to share to that story other than based on what I've read. Again, we could still call it a rumor right now, but this is, these are pretty reliable sources based on what I've read. This was a situation where WWE didn't actually give her any sort of warning about the content that she was putting up online and how it wasn't really in line with the image that they want to present to uh, a lot of their investors and their business partners and so forth. So as I kind of mentioned on the last podcast, I'm not saying WWE shouldn't have taken the title off of her and shouldn't have taken some sort of action, but when you're working with people who are independent contractors who can kind of do what they want in their spare time, you have to give them a little bit of leeway, I think, and this is a situation where I think either a fine or a suspension would have been a better course of action for them rather than them just flat out saying, Mandy Rose, you're done, this doesn't fit in with our with our image, um, you know, we're releasing you. So you don't know what the future holds, but, um, yeah, I'm sure it's, it, I'm sure it was still shocking for a lot of fans. Yeah. And like I said, I didn't even know that she was gone until our last episode. When you mentioned it to me, I thought she just lost her title. And once again, you know, I, I think this is going to come back to bite them. If she, if she decides to press charge or, you know, take them to court over this, because there's there's got to be some type of stipulation there. You've got to get some kind of warning, something. You can't just be doing like a, what was it, like OnlyFans or something? Do, doing something like that ongoing, yeah. ongoing and then get fired over it. Like, you, we already know you're doing it. You've been doing it for a while. Now we're going to fire you. Just because our former CEO, our former boss, had another female come out against him. So we can't, you know, we need all this dirty laundry stuff. We need to look good. We need to clean. It just doesn't make any sense. And I think it's going to come back to bite him. I don't think we'll see her on WWE again, but I do think that uh, she may win some money out of this. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, sir. Is that all you had? That is all. I all right, folks. So once again, uh, Donnie and myself do want to wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You've been listening to... Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast with your hostess, Donnie Cage and the Kentucky Guy. Hey, God bless and God bless America. You guys be very careful this weekend, okay? Have a great day.